Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to this very special bonus episode of The Hustle. I've been promising this one for a while, as I've been, over the years I've been pretty vocal that some kind of wonderful soundtrack is probably my favorite soundtrack ever. If it's not this one, it's The Lost Boys or Singles. Those three are all up there. Anyway, I wanted to talk to Tarquin Gotch a couple years ago to, because he was the music supervisor on that, on that movie. Got to know John Hughes. I love that conversation. Well, when Tarquin came back on last year to talk about that John Hughes box set that was released, he helped me, he helped put me in touch with some of the bands that are sort of smaller or more obscure from that soundtrack. And we're featuring three of them on this episode here today. Lick the Tins, Blue Room, and the March Violets. We're kicking it off with Allison Marr of Lick the Tins. This is actually the song that plays over the closing credits, so it's a little ironic that we're kicking off with that, but that's how it goes. They only managed one album like the Tins did. It's fantastic, though. It's this same kind of Celtic, folky, uh, alternative rock music. She's a lovely lady, and she tells the story about kind of what their deal was and why they why it was only one album and how they got selected. And uh, I'll tell you more about the others then, but let's start with Alison Marr of Lick the Tins. Okay, so first and foremost, before we get to the soundtrack itself, how did the band become what it was? Because it was such a unique sound, as you know, of kind of traditional Irish Celtic music mixed with regular alternative rock that was sort of happening at the time. Yeah, well, it was an Elvis song. And um, I come, all my family are musicians. We all self-taught, come from a little village in Ireland. And we were always sitting around, you know, like, too scared to go out because the, the troubles were on. So we would sit and play guitars and my sister played a harp and mandolins, banjos, and we used to sing Neil Young. And I've always been very much involved with folk music. That's my thing, was Ronan and Simon. Ronan Heenan was my partner. And he was he wrote most of the songs for the band. Uh-huh. He came from he came from Newcastle County Down. He, he died sadly last year. And oh. Simon, they were yeah, it's very sad. Oh. Uh, it was actually on our twins' birthday. We have twin sons. No, we having, really. Yeah, we were having a little birthday party celebration, and Ronan had just written a new song, and he was singing it, playing the guitar when he yeah. he died very suddenly. No, had you two stayed but, together all this time, or did you just remain friends? No, no, we were separated. We, yeah. we separated, but we were very good friends, and we played oh. music every few weeks until lockdown. And then yeah. I didn't see him because I was told that I had a serious lung condition, chronic lung oh. condition. Uh, years of smoking, you know, serves me right. Yes. But I don't smoke for years anyway. Sure. So I had to be kind of looked after. My daughter, sure. son, lived here, and they sort of protected me. So. Poor Rudder would come and sit in the hall and push cups of coffee over to him. Uh-huh. So sad, you know, lockdown. We could have been together. Yeah. Anyhow, oh. so, Rudder and Simon were in a band called the Almost Brothers, and it was like rock and roll. And Rudder wrote most of the songs. And um, then one night, Simon was a friend, and he came to. We used to busk. When I used to busk down in London, down the subways, you know, uh-huh. years ago. Uh-huh. So when you're a busker, you, you kind of be- learn how to belt it out. And it, it makes you brave. You have to be brave, you know. You yeah. can't be timid. So we, we did that. And then one night Simon was in my house. We were, I, I have like musical soirees every week. And he was in my yes. house. And he heard me playing the guitar and singing, Can't Help Falling in Love. And he thought it was charming. 
because I sang it in a kind of Marlene Dietrich voice, like, I can't tell falling in love. <laughs> they thought this was charming. So he paid for us to go into the studio. I've just written it down now. Sure. Uh, so Simon, I used to sing it in a Marlene Dietrich husky voice, whilst, which Simon found charming. And he arranged to, to make a demo in Pathways, a rundown rehearsal studio, popular with Stiff Records. Uh, Simon was a graphic designer for Stiff Records. So he knew a lot of people in the business. So after it was made, he gave it to this print rep who was looking for singles for his new record label, and he sent Can't Help Falling in Love. It's a bit rough and ready, which is the one he chose. And then we signed to Sedition Records, a small record label, and we recorded it, our single, at Alaska Studios with Pat Collier, mm. a fantastic producer. He produced that song, Walking on Sunshine. You know, Did he really? Yeah, he produced that. He was very good. Anyway, when we when we were in the studio, we played it so fast and it was so short that Ronan wrote another verse. But that wasn't allowed for copyright reasons. Right. Right. So we, we made an intro of Simon's very martial drums and my little plaintive whistle. Uh -huh. And then it was into the sort of rock and roll song. And then at the end, it was still too short. So we added on three polkas. Yeah. And it, it was quirky, you know. Yes. And people loved it, you know. You know, it was odd. Some people hated it, thought it was just novel and novel kind of thing. But uh -huh. some people loved it, and it was very popular. I, I still have like lots of fans online saying, "Oh, I played it at my wedding." And <laughs> anyway, so then um, apparently, oh yes, uh, it was released three times. But once they removed the Irish polkas at the end, as Capital Radio said they were too ethnic. Mm. And for the B side, Simon recorded a precious rhythm. And Ronan wrote Bad Dreams to accompany it. Mm. Then Tarquin Gotch from John Hughes heard it on the radio while travelling in a London cab and thought it was just what we were looking for. And it was used at the end of some kind of wonderful work. It was very well placed. Yeah, but yeah. Due to some sort of contractual issue, it was planned that Stephen Haig remix it, but the record company had lost the master chip and used Pat Collier's quarter-inch master. Pat did a tremendous job on it. Simon was told that the track might be released as a single from the film. And because he was a graphic designer, a sleeve design was faxed from MCA in, in the USA to Simon for approval. And the, a promotional visit to America was discussed. And we were all very excited. Mm -hmm. But another track became the first and only single release from the film. However, this did spur our record company on to offer us an album release of A Blind Man and a Flying Horse, which was also produced by Pat Collier in his new studio in the Greenhouse. Mm. Then, sadly, our record company went bust and was taken over by a firm of accountants who sold it on to another company who never paid us any royalties. Oh! And exactly. A song was used on this very famous film called The Snapper, which was a sequel to The Commitments. Don't know if you remember the big movie. I do. I saw the. I never. I've never heard of The Snapper, but I saw The Commitments. Yeah. Well, it had the same family, and it, it was a trilogy written by this Irish author called Roddy Doyle. There were three books. I can't remember the third one. Uh -huh. It was very fun. But 
This girl, an Irish girl in Dublin, gets really drunk one night, has sex with one of her next-door neighbours, but can't remember, and gets pregnant, and then decides to keep the baby. Uh-huh. It's very 80s. It's very funny. It's a hoot. Uh-huh. Uh, was played at the beginning and the end, and none of us knew anything about it till one night we were watching TV, and the movie came on, and I said, uh-huh. that's so Same with Simon. We didn't know. We never got a penny. Anywho, then, sadly, the band split up. And we all went our separate ways. What did I do next? As little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a great believer in idleness. But, uh-huh. but, then, but then I discovered I was having twins. So that went out the window. So yeah. all my energies went into becoming a, a mother, bringing up these uh, two lovely boys. Yeah. But I, I still played music. What else have we written? Well, yeah, did, you, uh, did you miss making... I mean... That was such a brief chapter of your life. Did you ever wish you were back in a band or back making music again? Or did you do it at the local pub at least? Oh, yes. I, I, when my boys got a bit older, yeah, I still played music all the time with my okay. family and friends. As I say, we'd have like, like music night once a week in my house. People would come with flutes, mostly Irish uh-huh. music. Also, uh, like rock and roll and blues, you know, yeah. whatever liked. My brother's a very good musician, so... So then, uh, when my boys got older, I, 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 I did. A, I took. I went to university. and got a degree in creative writing, oh. and then I met people who were interested in playing music. And so locally, I played in a couple of different bands. One was called Finister, mostly just folk music, jigs and reels and songs. Mm-hmm. I played in pubs. It's quite a good session because Kilburn, what used to be very Irish area, still got a couple of pubs that do sessions. Yeah. So I've done that. I love performing, but what I didn't like was like having to travel, you know, because we were on the university circuit, so we'd go travel all over Britain and Germany and stuff and play at gigs, you know, for like university students that yeah. play different clubs. And you do get a huge adrenaline rush, but then it was always very hard to sleep afterwards. Mm-hmm. Part of me loved it. And then when I had my <clears throat> twins, my hands were full. I didn't yeah. really miss it that part of it although I still love music I write songs and my ex-partner Ronan he, he was a fantastic songwriter yeah. but he never ever went to the studio to record them and such a waste because wow. he, he was a fantastic lyricist and his guitar playing was supreme and it's such a waste so I've been writing a few songs and recording them just in Gary's band for myself uh-huh. but I'm going uh-huh. to go into the studio soon because I find that yeah when when it's a different part of the brain. When, when you're writing uh, music and making up songs, it's a very creative thing. But when you sort of try, have to suddenly become very technical and put down, you know, the drum beat and everything, and it's very technical, it sort of um, takes away the other the other rush of, rush of creativity. I 100% agree with you, yes. So I need an engineer to do that for me, and yes. I can just... Yeah. I'm very good at the whistle, I must admit. I've kind of mastered that, but at the moment I'm learning bluegrass banjo. Ooh. Yes. Nice. I follow the guy from Appalachia. He's on the he gives free lessons on the internet. Forget his name. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I'm getting quite good. I had a tenor banjo, but at, to me it was very blunt, like it was more percussive, you know. Uh-huh. You know, was was it the, the bluegrass? It's like a wee harp. Yeah. You know, because you do think of it it's beautiful. I'm getting quite good at that. Good. So I am. I'm still playing with people. As I said, I was playing in bands up until um, lockdown, and then for two years, I didn't really see anyone. 
Yeah. Is that my chance? Was it the same in America for you? Lockdown. Yes, it was. My uh, my dad actually died of COVID. So, oh, it, right? yeah, it's, it's okay. And I knew, I've known four or five people that died of COVID. So it was, yes, a very, and as you know, we have the people who think it was a hoax and think it wasn't real. And it's like, well, I, my dad was fine one day and then he died two <laughs> weeks later. And so it's real. So he but, got the rest. He won. There were different types, wasn't there? The army club was more uh, head called the, the rest. Yeah. He won. Yeah, he, they told he me, got well, that will kill you, you know, so I stayed in. Mm-hmm. I didn't get moved. Yeah, what, I think so anyone. Where are you from? Where are you from? I am in Denver, Colorado. I grew up in what? Salt Lake I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. What? And that's where my, my parents still lived in Utah. And um yeah, the some kind of wonderful is a is a very important transformative music or a movie in my life largely because of the music and so i was curious about that point in particular when uh, tarquin has told me stories about late nights hanging out with john hughes and and he would just call it needle dropping you know like put on a a scene and he'll drop the needle of the record on a uh, i like i like this band what do you think and would play it out in in his at john's house and see what clicked and then whatever clicked that's what went on the soundtrack do you because remember ran, yeah ran very the, yeah yeah letting the universe come to you yes yeah, exactly and because those two were so into kind of indie music and alternative and had really good ears at the time, especially, um, they just had a feel for what would work. Do you remember anything about being informed that it had gotten chosen in this American movie? Did you know anything about who John Hughes was? Did you go to a party for it or anything like that? No, I, I didn't really know, except my daughter, she's, she's that younger, but she loved the movie. She knew all about him. I, not so much me, but she got me into watching his movies. But it was Simon informed me, because Simon worked in Stiff Records and he knew people in the industry. And he was very excited. He was the one that told us, hey, they're going to use our song. They've picked yeah. kind of love for, for this new movie, John Hughes movie, and Simon was really chuffed. And as yeah. I said, there was a kind of rumor that we might get to go to the States, uh-huh, but that uh-huh. never happened. Never so happened. Like, oh, that's too bad. That's what I was wondering, too. Did you end up touring with anyone over there? Did you ever open for, I don't know, no, Kirsty like, McCall or the Pogues or anything like that? No, I, I met I met Jim McGuire a couple of times. He came to one of our gigs, and then I met him somewhere else. Um, not really, no. Huh. I didn't really get to know that many people in the industry. Did you ever perform on, I didn't even know there was a video until getting ready to talk to you. And then I saw there's a video of you guys on the boat. And so yeah, lovely. yeah, I waited to see it, for, it was lost for 20 years. Really? I, I wondered. I found it, put it on, on um, uh, Facebook and mm-hmm. I was going, my God, look at that, 20 years yeah. ago. Or 25 years ago. Sure, sure. Did, now, I've had Stephen Haig, who's a legend, has been on here before. Do you remember interacting with him at all, or did he do what he did away from that, you? Simon, Simon, Simon Ryan interacted with him. I mean, I really loved if Simon had been here because, you know, as I say, he, he was the one who started the band. He knew people yeah. in the industry. I didn't really. But yeah, he, what I mentioned Stephen Haig here, uh, what did I say? It was planned that Stephen Haig remix our single mm-hmm. for the movie. But I told you the record company lost the mastership. Yeah. So what was used was Pat Collier's inch, uh, quarter inch master. And I think he must have, he did something to it. It sounds very different to our version. Mm-hmm. He sort of upped it a bit. It sounds yeah. very bright. Yes. He did a really good mix. 
I never uh, met him personally, but Simon okay. told us we decided. Okay. Yeah, he's he's big time. He's still a legend. Um, what uh, about Blind Man on a Flying Horse, which is the one and only album out there for Lick the Tins, and it resells for kind of a lot of, it's, I looked it up just now, it's $33 if I wanted to buy it on CD right now, it's because uh, it's so rare. Did you do you remember seeing it in shops? Do you were what was was it uh, Bell of Belfast City that was the follow up single? And how did anything else off of that album do? We I know we released Bell of Belfast City, and then we released another single called Ghost Story. Oh, Ghost Story. Ghost Story. Ghost I think Story. maybe in yeah. the middle of the night might have gotten the middle of the well. night was also a single. Yeah, Ronan wrote that song. <laughs> It's such yeah. a long time ago. I wish Simon was here because he, he remembered it all. That's okay. Did um, you um or did you ever hear though any of the other songs on the radio? I know that Can't Help Falling in Love played a lot on the radio. My brother uh -huh. lives in Ireland and he said they played it all the time, sometimes oh, in loop. Good. Very good. popular. People dance to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other songs I haven't. Okay. I mean my son my son goes on 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 YouTube and he said there's we a website about like the tins and mm -hmm. Funny there comments, is. you know, and uh, I haven't really looked. It's like a, yeah. because it's such a long time ago; it's another chapter in my life. I'm quite sure. proud of that song, though. Yes, you know, I think it, it has lasted. I think it's something to do with the whistle and the uh, Marshall beat and and my husky Marlon Dietrich voice. <laughs> that's exactly what it is, and you never and I mean, saw any money from it. You don't get any royalties. You know, we, we Every get, time it's on TV a, and stuff. We didn't write it. We only oh, get yeah. like, uh, an we get an arrangement fee, not very much, like PRS, little dribs and drabs now and again. Yeah, yeah. But nothing substantial. Okay. <laughs> we we weren't a very successful band, really, that way. We weren't oh, very successful. Oh, I wish you had. I love that whole album. Not just the song, but I love that whole album uh, so much. Um, okay, did you ever have, last question, did you ever have any kind of encounters with anyone um, – you know, did so? Did you ever meet someone famous? Did you ever open for another band that was big? Did you ever meet bump into anybody at the record label or anything like that? I never went to the record label. Simon did it all. Oh, okay. Because he was in the industry. Yeah. I always just stayed at home playing music uh, in my <laughs> house. You know, like it was very bespoke. Yeah. yeah. Very, very organic. You know, really. We we went. You know, you know, there was nobody sort of grooming us to. Sure. We were very organic, and we. Probably looking back, we weren't very professional at all. You know, we're very lackadaisical. We're dreamers. <laughs> you didn't know any better. You know, you did what you did. And thankfully, yeah, we Tarquin found that song and, and made yeah, it we a were thing. Buskers, you know, we yeah. weren't sort of a manufactured, glossy thing. We were very organic and I say a bit lackadaisical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. Who did I meet? I must have met some famous people. But um, I wasn't really aware of them. Did you know? remember, yeah. Well, I met um, Tarquin recently. I met Tarquin Gotch a month ago at the at the launch in the uh -huh. British Film Institute. He gave a talk, and I spoke to him later. And then there was a we went to a disco, and there were people there from I think other bands had been on the album. Okay, but, I mean everyone's so much older now; it's hard to recognize yeah. people. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> also disappeared, it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But I remember they did play my song, and my daughter and son came. We all got up and danced, and I had uh -huh. a couple of people want my want, wanted to photograph me when they found out who it was. Yes, you know, like fans, like young people, like oh, I love that song. Can I can I get a selfie? Yes, that was quite nice. Wow, good, you deserve it. 
Well, but thank you. Said, we, lo we, we love music, right? So yes. we played it very organically, and I still play it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record my song soon, and Good. I can play it with five instruments now. Ooh. So it, it has a sweetness still, that song. It's got I a bit of sweet. Does. Yes. Yeah. I love it. And it was well-placed at the end when yes. the handsome guy goes off with the little punk girl instead <laughs> of the, the glamorous one. Did you watch the movie when it came out, or did you see it much later in your life? I watched it uh, about six months after it came out. My daughter said, Mom, you got to watch this movie. You're on it. Yeah. I'd forgotten it. I was all pleased. And when it's on, lots of people like um, sent messages on Facebook yeah. and things. Yeah. I saw that movie. I love that movie so much. Yeah. It is yeah. a very sweet movie. It is. And the guy, what, what do you call the main actor? He's Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. Oh, he's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful face. Yeah. Red hair. Yeah. Yeah, it's very well, Irish. Uh, many of us fell in love with Mary Stuart Masterson and Leah Thompson, yeah. both girls in that movie. We oh, yeah, they were lovely. Loved them both. So, well, thank you. I, you probably for a band that didn't know what they were doing and just kind of went along for it for the ride and everything briefly there for a minute. You put out some stuff that song, but also the whole rest of that album, which I've been able to collect over the years, that made some people, especially me, a guy, a little kid, and Salt Lake City, Utah, so wow. happy. And it helped form my love of music. It was that soundtrack and in particular songs like yours that made me the music lover and made my life what it is today. So when you were oh, just wow. doing this little thing that you didn't you thought was just kind of fun, you were making other people in the world on the other side of the world's life better. So thank uh, you, Allison, for doing that. That, that. That's really kind of you to say. It's true. Because yeah, I live a very ordinary life, and then suddenly I just passed it. As I say, it's like nearly 40 years ago. Yeah. And oh, that's so kind. Uh, and do you play music yourself? I Are don't. You a musician? I'm not yeah. a musician. You know, my dad was, uh, my dad, who I mentioned passed away, he was the conductor of several orchestras and uh -huh. symphonies. And so we didn't get along very well growing up because I was more of an athlete. I liked to play basketball and he was, he wanted me to play the violin in his symphony and I wanted him to come play basketball with me. And we just couldn't meet in the middle until I got older. And then we became friends. And, um, but instead I acquired a, an appreciation and a love for music, just not an ability or an interest in making the music myself. And, um, it was thanks to, People like Lick the Tins that made that happen. Oh. It's true. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so true. sweet, John. Thanks for that. Cheer me Thank up. You. Well, good. Right. You deserve it. All the Thank best. you, Allison. All right. Big thanks to Allison Marr. Thank you, Allison, for chatting with me. Now we move on to Blue Room, and we're talking to Dave Joyner and Linda Hall. Now, these guys actually cozied up to John Hughes a few times. There's Cry Like This which is the song feature that you're listening to right now that's featured in Some Kind of Wonderful. But then they also had a song in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and another one in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It pays to know Tarquin Gotch in the 80s uh, because he's got the ear of John Hughes. And that happens here as well. Unfortunately, Blue Room never put out an official album under that name, which is unfortunate because Dave shared some other music of theirs with me. And it's all great. Just... The music industry, the music business continues to just be baffling. Why do people do the things they do? I don't understand it. But anyway, here is Dave and Linda's story on how they got included in the soundtrack. Great, great stuff. How it sort of started, we, before we was with 
tarp and we was with Virgin for a little while. And then we was with a chap called, this is all connected. Then we signed to a, a manager called Tom Watkins, who um, was in charge of Pet Shop Boys and Bross and people like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we was with him for a while and uh, that, that kind of didn't work out. But what we'd done, we'd gone into the Kinks Conk Studios in Muswell Hill and we recorded Cry Like This, I'm Afraid and trusted me and we had Blue Weaver and some good people on there as well um, and I think what happened there there's two stories to this um, my uh, writing partner uh, Paul Mansfield who co-wrote uh, I'm Afraid um, he, he, he reckons that Jed Doherty who was the guy who got us our Virgin deal had it playing in his office and Tarp went in there heard it and then sort of went from there but in sort of contradiction to that and I don't know what one's right or not we was playing down um, the Fulham Palace Road doing a gig that's that picture I sent you John uh-huh. you know, of us yeah. in, in, full, in full flight with loads of hair <laughs> and uh, yeah and, uh, you still got hair? yeah I don't know it's a weakling it's a week it's a syrup but, <laughs> but um, yeah so anyway so uh, he, we was playing and all of a sudden in a break he appeared with his camera and uh, sort of come over to us and said, um, I, I work for a big Hollywood producer. And we thought he was crazy uh-huh. because, you know, you get all these things, don't you? And we completely sort of, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. And he, he left a card and an address and we followed it up and it was true. It was true. And um, so we ended up over Amsterdam, his office and whatnot. And um, it went from there. It went from uh-huh. there and it took some time. And, and what they did, I think they bought the tracks from Tom Watkins out. But I don't think ultimately they used him because I can't imagine Stephen Hague sort of picking up on someone else's work like that. He, he, I think he started from scratch at AdVision. He must have done because he had... Yeah, the, they, they did lift a couple of things off the original guy. Did they? Yeah. Okay. I was, uh, there was a note I couldn't hit and cry like this. Remember they lifted it off the... Did they? Off the original, yeah. Really? Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd sung it successfully, but when yeah. I suppose a year later, I, it just wasn't in me, so I didn't. I, huh. so they, it, they lifted it off the the original did track they? we did. did yeah, wow. that I'd record wow. when I recorded earlier. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Tarquin comes well, that's along. Well, so maybe got, they... right. He's he comes along. He's got the connections. And he decides to manage yeah. you, take you, takes you out from under the Doherty guy or whatever. Well, and, I don't uh, think he was directly managing us. Oh, um, I no, Tarquin I think it just was. rather. Like, well, we were being managed by Tom Watkins, who's a very successful manager. But but um, Tarquin had this lead into with John Hughes, and he yeah. wanted a lot of Brit bands at the time, yes. and we fitted the bill. Yeah, yeah, you know, and there's a wealth of material, and yes. so. Okay, so mm. the first placement mm. that I know of is um, Cry Like This and Some Kind of Wonderful. Mm. And um, I'm curious about anything to do with that period. Did you, um, were you privy to the anything to do with the movie beforehand? Was it a, was a song selected afterwards? For anyone who doesn't know, it's basically an instrumental version of this song that's happening yeah. in the background during, oh, was. Over the Watts drum section. Yes, yes, that's, yes, yes. That's it. She's kind of having a moment. Yeah. There's like a montage or something happening in the background. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's quite, it's quite sort of a moment in the film. It's a good place for it to be if it's going to be anywhere. Even that was yes. only an instrumental. But it is actually, if you listen, it's throughout the film here and there as well. There's little right. sort of parts of the melody just creep in a bit. But that's the main part of it. 
Um, as far as uh, I, I, I know, obviously Stephen Haig did the uh, the uh, production for that Ad Vision, as he did with Trust in Me, um, and uh, but there was no, I don't think there was much discussion about what song was going to go into where before him. No, it? not with us. No, I mean they, they had, just they placed it for you. They didn't involve you in the process. Yeah, they they had a multitude of, of material to choose from from us. And they picked what they wanted, didn't they? they really? And from other people. I, mm. I got the impression from Tarkman now, if you mm. listen to his interviews, that they really sort of kept it sometimes to the last minute to decide what they was going to do. You know, it, it was sort of like a real instinctive thing with them. Um, and that, that could take them right up to the wire with it. They didn't always settle on it straight away, I don't think. No. And I, I'm sure that we fell into the same category. And if, if, it, if, if the shoe fitted on it, went, you know? Yeah. Um, I, um, when Tarquin retells the stories of how all this happened, he's, the way he tells it is he and John Hughes are over at John's house, needle dropping, literally, uh, mm. you know, I've got, what do you think Tarquin would fit in this scene? And Tarquin says, oh, I've got this band. What about the March Violets right here? What about, yeah. uh, you know, Blue Room right here? And um, yeah. if it fits, John likes it and it goes. So it could, like you yeah. were saying, that's interesting. It could have been anything, any song. Yeah. He, now, did he have vinyl? Was it literally a record? He had some records of vinyls of demos of yours, no. five or six of them or whatever? No, because those songs were really new. Um, okay. uh, I'm, I'm afraid, which Manson I had written some time before. I mean, that's been recorded quite a few times. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but cry like this it was compared to that was really new. Certainly, trusting me was. So these songs hadn't even been recorded until then. Those ones, um, okay. apart from obviously the conks sessions there with okay. um, that we did for Tom Watkins. So those were the only sort of moments that they had. So um, it, he must have sort of kind of played the conk stuff. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. To John. Okay. Um, Today's today would say he played the files. You know? Yeah, he played the <laughs> files. Yeah. But there was no, no hard copy. Exactly. No hard copy of it. Yeah. 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 Mm. Sort of a, a tape you needed a crane to lift. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So did they call you after the fact, after the film was done, maybe not released, but done, and just said, hey, guys, just so you know, you've got a song in this upcoming movie? You know something I genuinely cannot remember. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I think we would have got a bit more sort of notice there than that, uh, that, they was, that it was going to be used. But those were the ones, I'm afraid, quite a lot trust in me. Um, uh, and, of course, every time we got away, which wasn't our song, but, but we yeah. covered that beautifully. But it was, but um, yeah, so it, it, was, it right. was sort of just was played it, as we went along with it. I think, trust in me, wasn't that going to go in Uncle Buck, wasn't it? That trusted me, which was Stephen Haig as well. That that was um, later on because I think I thought come out in nineteen eighty eight, if I remember rightly. Um, it, it sort of resurfaced, and it was a con it was a contender for that. And it's it, somehow the other it true to Blue Room form. It missed the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that. But, oh, you man. know, um, yeah. But uh, okay. yeah, so okay, so that you, so I think we was kept a, a, a bit informed. I mean, I'm sure Tarkin would have told us, you know, okay. what was going on as much as he knew. Do you remember anything about the release of the movie? Did you go to any parties? Did you or did you? Yeah, just... we did. We did go to a showing of the film. You know, pre uh -huh. pre release. Okay, and every I, I remember everybody in the audience was involved in the film. So it wasn't like everyone was sitting there enjoying the film because everybody was waiting for their part, for the you know, so, <laughs> so you, you have a critical eye and ear under these circumstances. Right. And, 
I recently I saw the film again and thoroughly enjoyed Ferris Bueller's Day. Yeah. I realised I hadn't watched it before because I was so busy waiting. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so I, I was did. thinking of some kind of wonderful, but years. which one is it that's in the background of the swimming scene in Ferris? That's I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Um, that's right. Yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah. Produced by Stephen Tintin Duffy, who I'm. Yeah, yeah. And that was it Sam East or Sam West? You're speaking to him soon, aren't you? I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, yeah. So uh, yeah, that was at Sam with um okay. with Stephen, which was which was really good. And Ooh, um, that's the place Trevor Horn lingering around anywhere? He might have been. You know, he does keep a low profile in the studio, so he could have been okay. there. Mm. Okay. But um, yeah. So that was that was that was that. Um, uh-huh. and. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid, and it came out as also. I'm afraid was um, released as a promotional single by John Hughes for his fan club. I think about thirty thousand sort of printed, but they're quite yeah. deemed as quite rare these days. And on the flip side was the Flower Pot Men with Beat City. We was on the other side to that, yeah. and uh, yeah. I've still got a couple of copies, you know, sort of floating that's around wild. here. That's wild. Yeah, but so that's, that, that's the I'm afraid I sent you. By the way, yeah, it's that, great. That's the and, and that's the. Thing. I got to admit, Dave, that's where my mind is going with all this. You sent these four or five great tracks on top of the one, you know, every time you go away or whatever. And why was there no Blue Room full album? What happened? I mean, you're in all of these John Hughes movies, which are the yeah. most are some of the most formative pieces of art of the 80s and of my generation. They yeah. shaped me like few other things did. But oh, why is yeah. there no Blue Room album? There was. Oh, there, there was, was a Blue was, Room album. Yeah, 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 yeah. We was working on that at Waikiki Studios with uh, Pete Ware. Um, um, it was, uh, I, I don't know if we said it was mastering, but we were certainly mm. doing a, an expensive demo, which John, which John paid for and all the rest of it. And um, we we put that together. John Hughes phoned us up, didn't he? Yes, yeah. Oh, he was very enthusiastic. There was... Didn't he put a little label together for a while? There was John John Hughes MCA, wasn't it? It was quite a unique arrangement, and we mm. was we was kind of part of that part of the Brits or move there because what Tarquin and John wanted to do that one of their ambitions was to break an unknown British band. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't us. <laughs> um, but but <laughs> but you know, um, yeah, it could have been. It could have been. Yeah. You know, always the bridesmaid, John. Was the bride, right? You know. Seems that way. You know. But so. Uh, but yeah, so but uh, you know, and, and 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 John phoned us up. He spoke to Lynn. He spoke to me, and it was quite a moment actually. And the more I reflect on that, I mean, you know, I know he's not the second coming or anything like that, but he's still an incredibly important person in our physical lives, isn't he? And yeah. uh, and 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 had a little chat with him. I think Lynn, you spoke longer than I did to him. Yeah, I don't remember much about it. We were in the studio at the time, so you're working, you know, and it's sort uh-huh. of like so. Got to stop to take a phone call from him, you know. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> it's John Hughes. Oh, gold! He takes his time, so isn't he? I'm right in the middle of this. I'm in the middle of a vote. Tell him to call back. <laughs> <laughs> tell John Hughes I'll talk to him later. I'll yeah. call him when I'm not so busy. Not so, not so busy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that was we. We kind of done that and. For the life of me, I don't know what happened after that. Everything just seemed to sort of, I don't know, there was a few life events going on at that time, which weren't particularly good. But we ended up that that was never released. Oh, it was never yeah. released. Mm, yeah, well, I think it was like possibly from John's camp, uh, 
point of view. It was a great idea at the time. But then with the movies taking off the way they did, did they really want the added, Background. you know, of the... Yeah. So a record label as well. Tuffin wasn't actually managing this either. No, so no. his focus okay. was on the movies, okay. and he had a, he had a lot more bigger, bigger fish coming towards him to fry, which yeah. he was probably aware. Of. So I think I agree with you, Lynn, probably to some degree. Um, you know, apart from the ones which were obviously going to fly out there, um, the, the work that would have been required to break us, um, maybe you know, this just wasn't the, the, the space yeah. to do it. Who knows? It could have been. It could have been there. Maybe he just didn't want to go into the music business. You know, maybe back, back quite, into he it. was quite happy being in the film music. Yeah. Uh, well, business, his, his life would yeah. change even more a couple of years later with Home Alone, and yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah. I mean, a guy like John, I could see this. He would be. I mean, he's he loves music so much, and he's obviously so great at writing these particular movies that a label or whatever his he's being offered whatever he wants. You're our golden yeah. boy right now. You can. What do you want? And of course, he loves music, so he says, "Ooh, I would love to have my own label, and I could get people like Blue Room out there." And and but mm. then you're right. As the movie career was so demanding, he probably just thought, "Forget it. I don't have that much time to." That's right. I think that. I think that's exactly what happened. It's, it's yeah. probably it. And, and Tarquin too, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe the some of the Max were a bit more established than we was as well. Of course, we would have taken a bit more breaking with that, you yeah, know. Maybe, um, maybe. And maybe that maybe that's the reason there with it. Okay. But it, you know, it was a great time. And we had a yeah. really good time, and um, it's all kind of sort of laid sort of dormant. And we've done a bit of reunion sort that's of great. things, and you know, various things. We've all pursued our own different things until two nineteen when Tarquin got back to us. And, 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 but that period of time, though, looked back upon very fondly. Oh, yeah. definitely. Good. You did yeah. you every time you go away? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. That was my next yes. question. So, Linda, tell me about oh. every time you go away. And I can't, oh. I feel like there might have been a story there about someone else was going to do it, or I don't remember. Well, you tell I, me how, I it was, got, how it happened. All I got was, can you sing this song every time you go away? by Daryl Hall and John Oates. And can you sound like Paul Young? That's right. That's right. They couldn't, it was like, why not just use the original, the regular Paul Young? Yeah. So I don't honestly know what went on there. It was like a last minute thing. And I couldn't even get into the studio because I was working abroad. I was in, in Germany working with another band. And so I said, but I can't record it until I come back. Uh -huh. So it was all very, you know, mm. I didn't, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was that. Okay. That was the, yeah. I, I, I didn't enjoy it because there was, there was a lot of pressure on me. It was like, can I sound like Paul Young? I was like, well, if they want Paul Young, I said, well, why don't you get Paul Young? Because he'd had a very big hit with it, you know. <laughs> no, no, John wants a girl to sing it. So that's what that's what I was told at the time. Yeah, I Which think maybe, maybe it was Tarquin who told me that if a male voice was singing that song with two males walking down the street holding the thing together that it yeah. was yeah, yeah, a different yeah, message or something point. like that you know i i yeah. think it was him maybe it was him or maybe the yeah. producer i can't remember anyway yeah that okay that makes some sense now did it the rest of the david are you even on that song because it frankly sounds like it was performed by a different band but it is no, you guys it it was, uh, but Lynn rode me in onto the session. Yeah, so I'm on the backing boat. Every yeah. time you go, yeah. Yeah. there's some other chat there as well as two of us. I don't know yeah. his name. Derek, Derek, Derek. Yeah. 
That's at yeah. Steve Levine's place, wasn't it? Yeah, it's Steve Levine. Steve Levine. Yeah. He was on here. That's what I was trying to think of. He was. He's been on here, and we talked about that. Yeah. Oh, remember he remembers yeah. it. Oh. Yes. Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. yeah so let's talk I about the. I'm curious about the post John Hughes period. I mean, your all your great stuff that I have been privy to is tied to John Hughes in some way. When when does that relationship break? What do you guys do when Blue Room isn't going to be, you know, launched? Right. Okay. Well, that would have been about 1989, okay. around about that time. And I, it's all a bit hazy, really, but I think we all kind of went our separate ways for a while, um, just pursued our own thing. Uh, and that continued on and off quite for some time. But during that time, right up until Tarpon got us, so live on, until Tarpon got back to us um, about the, the mixtapes thing, um, there was a few reunions. We yeah, we just get together and gig, you know, because you know, there's so much um, original material, so it's nice to air it. Yeah. You know, yeah so we, now and again, we go out and get together and go and play yeah know. we did that you know a few bits and pieces i mean Lynn pursued her stuff i pursued mine and not all music you know we okay. I, I, I had about 14 years or maybe more of not doing any at all you're still yeah. writing i was still time. writing but not performing mm. with it you know um so you know there was and same with tony and now i mean he's he's our drummer tony cook he's he, he he's still drumming. Still drumming. <laughs> wow. and the Young Bucks, etc. Jeff Lincoln, our bass player. Um, he was with Catherine Tickell, who Tarquin manages, I think. That's small world, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, then we had other people, Sean McDonough, we had uh, Ian Montague with us. Um, of course, Mancy, who Paul Mansfield, the, the you know, the, the co writer uh, I'm Afraid. He was a keyboard player, very talented writer. Uh, yeah, so well, I'm still in contact with Paul. We're, no That's doubt great. we'll do so at some stage. But it, it, time's just gone past, and to be truthful with you, there's been no real serious um, sort of attempt to, to reinstate the Blue Room until the mixtapes thing. Yeah. Um, and we've had a go. We've had a few troubles with the studio, sort of where our material, as you know. But we're kind of sort of back into the frame again. And uh, Yeah. That's yeah. great. Deservedly so. These songs are so good. <laughs> What about you, Linda? What did you do when uh, Blue Room sort of ceased to exist? Well, I continued. I continued singing. So uh, I just was in various bands. I went. Oh goodness, I was all over the place. Really, uh, a lot of session work, BVs, okay. and gigging. A lot yeah. of studio work. Uh, would you have yeah. been on or done anything that we would know? Any any acts? Possibly. That we... I'm trying to think. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm Same not, you, I'm, David. I'd be a terrible name dropper because I can never remember anybody. <laughs> well, and it's not dementia, I swear. I <laughs> <believe> <laughs> I've always been the same. Uh, <laughs> I believe you. Yeah, yeah, you'd have heard me here, there, and everywhere. Okay. Yeah, you'd have heard me somewhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, actually, I did, there, was, there was another movie I did uh, a couple of years back now. Maybe about five years ago now, a Japanese one, and I'm singing a, a title on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, it's quite a good movie, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> 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 and I'm not singing in Japanese either. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, just but clock there you in, go. sing your bit, clock out, go home. <laughs> yeah, the movie comes <laughs> out whenever. I sound like Paul Young on it. No, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, were quite, they were quite happy with a girl. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. Um, I'm trying to remember the song, I think. I can't remember the song, but it was a good good yeah. song anyway. Cool. That's what was chosen. So stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So David, let me let me ask you let me ask you a hard question. When um oh, I mean it can't be easy on the psyche to have been so close to yes. making it. You know, you yeah. can hear your songs on the big screen being and see them being heard and seen by millions and millions of people. people. Still to this day, these John Hughes yeah. movies get played daily somewhere. And you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it didn't it, really happen. And then there's comes a moment, maybe it's the late 80s, early 90s, when you wake up and you realize, I can't, I'm not going to make it as a musician. I thought I would. I had some breaks. I'm in these movies and it didn't work out. And I've got to go figure out something else. Is that what happened? Not quite. I okay. never quite got to that point. I've always sort of continued pushing along with it. I think Paul you. as well. I think, I think Mancy is as well in his own way, you know. But it's, I think he'd probably agree with me. It's, it's pretty tough. Because yeah. so close and yet so far, you know, and I don't know whether you could say in the right place at the right time, because we was in the right place and it was the right time, yeah. but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. It wasn't meant to be. And of course it's quite, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And I mean, it, 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 it does make it difficult pushing through that all the time, yeah. but I've never really kind of stopped. Um, right. So, but yeah, it's, it's quite, quite sort of, yeah, it's, it's a shame, isn't it? We that we didn't sort of make a little bit more, have a little bit more fortune with it. You know, if we'd have lived in America, we would have... We, possibly. If we'd gone out to America, we would have really... Possibly might have uh, been more... Well, yeah. Was that ever well, encouraged for an option? Like, really? Let's relocate yeah. to LA and see what happens? Yeah, you know, but, but, but then, then was the moment, John. Yeah. to have actually done that if if we'd have just uh, see we didn't have a manager really Tarquin wasn't our manager yeah. he wasn't represented by someone who was totally focused on us there lies the rub really maybe yeah. if we if we had all bands are the same you know you're focusing on your art and what you're doing and really it, the, when you get to that point when that moment of opportunity arrives you do need someone who's representing you properly and yeah. we never ever had that and no you know, uh, you know, criticism of Tarquin, he, he never made out to be our manager. He wasn't, you know. So we never had anybody really, really, really looking out for us like that and to negotiate or to, yeah. to advise us or anything. And I think if someone had been there and knew what they was doing, they would have said, right, we're going out there. This is the moment. If ever there was, we're going out, we're going to relocate for a while, just for a couple of years, yeah. drop everything. You, need, you need someone to... to push in your corner really yeah. don't you I and mean, it's yeah. all very well a getting a song out there but uh, i mean how many one hit wonders do you have oh, out there i know and, and i'm sure there's artists with as much material as dave but then nev you never get to hear it because there's nobody oh, behind yeah. it there's no machine behind it yeah so that's that's basically i guess what happened yeah. Yeah. i'm not unique in that i've worked with quite a few people who knocked into a cocked hat i mean yeah. i ain't too bad at what i do and they've got nowhere either. Life, yeah. is, rock is a cruel mistress, John. Yeah. <laughs> it sure is. I believe it. So what did you do for work then, Dave, after, you know, Blue Rock? Oh, various happened? things. I did, I did quite a lot of voiceover stuff. Okay. That went on for a while. That's right. That was doing all right. Yeah, it? I, I mm -hmm. was making quite a tidy living out of that. Um, yeah. And gigs, lots of gigs. Um, then right. sort of ended up working for... Uh, 
funnily enough, for a chap called Luke Vigilante, who had a sort of a communications company, but he was our keyboard player for a while, and he co-wrote um, Heart of Stone with me. No way. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so I did that for about fourteen years on and off. Gigs in between, you know, still sure. playing. Uh, the music never goes away. I mean, no. uh, it, it it doesn't. It's what you do. It's it's inbuilt. Yeah, it? you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Just. Uh, and you two, um, personal question, you're not together. You're in the same place doing this interview, but you're yeah, not a we're, couple. Uh, we're good friends. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, we've no, been friends for, friends well, we can time. say how many years we've been friends yes. now, can't we? Going on 40, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, it's well, been a how while. How has it been? Since, 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 we were in our 20s when we first met, obviously. When did, when did we first meet? I, I think I met you at train station or something well the age of you, were, you, were, you were coming back you were coming back from having just signed to virgin oh christ and yeah. i was talking about i was signing with mca or something and it was like we were like oh yeah 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 so it was um, and that one didn't come off either the mca thing i was with a band called the red crayola and we were based in germany you've heard yeah you've heard yeah. yeah yeah i was with them and so we were out in germany for best part of a year recording out there we did some great stuff you know we had a ball it was fantastic and then i came back and then next thing i'm in the blue room you know so oh, man. you just go from one thing to the next sure. you know that was yeah something <laughs> hits yeah yeah that's great 84 there we go 84. okay that sounds great guys um thank you for chatting with me this is like i said i have just that soundtrack and those songs have meant so much to me throughout my entire life. And I thought, I just want oh, to good. know what the story is of these people. Some Kind of Wonderful is probably my favorite John Hughes movie. And um, your sequence and everything is just, it's been impactful since 1987 or whatever year it was that that came out. And mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to hear your story. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Oh, no. well, thank you. Thank you for waiting a year for this story. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. I enjoyed it. It's been great. Thank you very much. Of course. Yeah, thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Of course. Let's stay in touch. All right. Here we go with the last one. This is Rosie Garland and Tom Ashton of the March Violets. Now, the March Violets have kind of a couple special bits of trivia that factor into their story. First of all, they're the only band that's included in the soundtrack twice. There's this one, Turn to the Sky, and then they also do that cover of Amanda Jones, named after Leah Thompson's character in the movie. Um, what's interesting, they also appear in the movie. There's that weird scene where er uh, Eric Stoltz, Keith, is thinks he's waiting for Amanda Jones at a club. You don't know if they really, if he really is. Watts shows up, bets her hands on it, that she doesn't love him. Anyway, um, they are the band playing in that club scene. Howard Deutsch, the director, loves stuff like that. He did that in Pretty in Pink with the Brave Ups as well. Now, the woman singing in that scene, in that scene, and the woman who sings these two songs is not Rosie. Her name is Chloe. Rosie was the lead singer before the movie and then joined up, joined back up again later. What's interesting about the March Violets is they are still an active thing. They are still out there doing reunion tours and everything like that. Um, so it's a little weird because Rosie was not the one singing in this scene or these songs, but Tom was there for the whole thing and he tells stories about it. So anyway, we're gonna close it out with March Violets, Tom and Rosie. 
Where, where are you based, John? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Um, oh, ori- wow. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm originally from Salt Lake City, Utah. And I wow. mentioned that because Salt Lake City, you may or may not know, has a very vibrant alternative rock scene. And I I'm, actually did not know that. Okay, okay. Because a lot of bands like yours would have been big around the time you guys were big. And so a lot of bands like you come through Salt Lake City and just have crazy stories about how, you know, you partied with the Mormons or you didn't think it would be big, but it turned out to be big or whatever. Yeah. Tom probably would be more of an authority yeah. on that, to be perfectly honest. Okay. No, okay. I've never made it to Colorado, but oh. uh, my partner has got, um, well, family ties in Colorado. Oh, so really? I, I think they've all moved. But um, oh. yeah, they had um, they were ranchers back in the 1930s or something like that. So, uh, and apparently it's a beautiful place. It is. Yeah, we love it here. Um, all right, guys. So first and foremost, um, let's talk about how the band uh, began because my understanding, Rosie, is that you were there from the beginning, the first couple of years when you guys were, yeah. uh, no offense, you guys sounded a lot like the Sisters of Mercy back then. And I don't know really? if they sounded like you or you sounded like them or everybody sounded like each other. I don't know. Well, it's there, was like- a whole, there was a whole movement of like, you know, bands that were all, uh, for some reason, we, we all just gravitated towards drum machines because it yeah. was kind of easier. And um, no oh, one well, knew any drummers, actually. I think it, it was, might have been that simple. <laughs> it's just it was, like, it was, it was easier, but um, it's like, yeah, because it's so much easier to go to a gig when you haven't got a drummer. But also, it was new technology. I mean, Absolutely. this was mm-hmm. so exciting. It's like the idea that you could press buttons and drums happened. I mean, I think it's easy to forget just how absolutely radical that was and how it meant that bands who couldn't get a drummer or didn't want to have a drummer or wanted to have a different look on stage. It was playing with new technology. It was just fabulous. Isn't the Echo of Echo and the Buddy Men a reference to the drum machine that they started out with in the beginning too? It was indeed, yeah. That's right, Echo was the drum machine. Their first single was 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 a drum machine. Yeah song wouldn't it or both both tracks yeah yeah I remember. my uh my yeah. listeners are probably sick of me saying this because i've made this reference anytime i have on a band like human league or another kind of synth based band my feeling is that what you guys were doing with technology and drum machines is should be an or is its own way punk rock because of the spirit of punk yeah, rock yeah. Oh, is yeah. a diy do-it-yourself attitude those guys just didn't know how to play instruments so they banged it away on guitars you guys didn't know how to play instruments so you banged it away on a keyboard it's the same thing it's just two different instruments you know what I mean? it comes yeah. from the same I, I scene you, I mean, we, we were very kind of um anarchic i think would be yeah. a good word at yeah. the beginning and then um, we i mean we're still teenage you know i was like 17 18 when it started yeah. and yeah um, we we just you know we we yeah we, I guess we couldn't find a drummer and we kind of liked the idea. We, I was another band, it was a French band called Metal Urbane. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. They were kind of an early punk metal drum machine band from Paris. Had a singer called Paris Marquis, and it was really cool. I you know Peel they did a couple of Peel sessions. We were yeah. um, this is like seventy eight, seventy nine. I guess you know we that was an influence definitely. Yeah. You know, me and Loz were, were into them. So yeah. and they were a punk band with a drum machine, you know. And then there was Suicide, you know. Of course, um, was also a big influence on on you know Andrew from the sisters. About everybody, I bet. And, um, 
Yeah, yeah, of course, okay. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Guys... And, it was... and it was kind of the punk ethic of having sure. sort of like a real eclectic mix and mm, not feeling that you we had to kind of toe the line to anything that had gone before. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we so, weren't interested in, in kowtowing to anything at all at that point of our lives. I bet. It was just like make a record. It was yeah, very there, make a record. Yeah. Were you <laughs> getting time, yeah. played on the radio? Were, were, um, was that, I mean, the aspiration of any band is to connect with as many people as you can. Was that in the cards? I don't know what kind of potential bands we were, like yours had at that we time. Were quite arrogant. We were quite arrogant about it. And I think everyone, every band that was in that little movement that started off, you know, sort of like 81-ish, where everyone was pretty full of themselves in a good way and, and you know, just assumed that people would would listen, and they did. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's how, if you've got confidence, I mean, I, I mean, we just didn't care. We just yeah. threw it out there and, and, and people I did. I mean, yeah, yeah sort of we did. And um, it's like, and I think you need some of that ballsiness to mm. actually get stuff done. And uh, we may, we weren't mm. necessarily, we weren't, let's face it, on mainstream radio to start mm. with. Mm. But as Tom would say, it's like our mm. big break was the wonderful John Peel. And we were on his show um, a number of times. And, you know, so it, it completely opened things up for us. It's like... British music would have been completely different without John Peel and certainly I the March Violets. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what song was kind yeah, of was breaking you out there? Was it walk into the sun? Are you on walk into the walk into the sun, Rosie, or was that after? No, I left after snake dance. I was okay. on uh radiant boys, groovy in green yep. crow baby snake dance. One, two, I love you. The um, okay. earlier track up to and including snake dance. Okay. Okay. And, of course, and then I and of course, moved to Africa. 2007. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah. then, of course, everything from 2007. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So what was it then that really um, was it? Okay, so it's a Peel session. Is Tarquin Gotch involved? He, does he, he manages you guys, right? No, he, he, he was the music supervisor at Hughes Music, and he was the right. first guy who got in touch with us. This had been about 1986. Okay. When they, when you know, um, John Hughes had heard that single, you know, "Turn the Sky," and then oh, okay, so he okay. came along a lot later. And that was a, you know, very different, um, you know, version of the band at that point. You know, um, mm -hmm. we we, I mean, yeah, I mean, we kind of managed ourselves really at the very beginning. It was kind of okay. you know, when I say managed, I say, <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, obviously knew what we were doing to some to some extent so um tarquin <laughs> manages a lot of the bands that ended up in john hughes movies like gene loves jezebel and stuff like that which is or dave wakeling which is yeah. why i was asking so no, rosie uh, why do you leave why why did you take off it was a host of reasons john um part of it was the political situation in the uk i'd, I'd kind of had enough of um uh, Margaret Thatcher, um, and for those who don't remember, yeah. go and look her up. And um, I, I was also dealing, yeah, I was, yeah, I think a lot of people had. And I yes. didn't just want to kind of move to the next city. I wanted to kind of shift continents for a while and just see another way of living. And I was dealing with a lot of personal stuff at the time. I was coming out and yeah. um, finding that kind of interesting. Um, and yeah, you know, there were tensions in other places. I maybe let Tom say a bit more about that. And um, and so I uh, moved to Sudan in Africa on the edge of the oh, Libyan wow. desert. 
and um, worked there for two years, worked really hard. And um, wow. I, I could say it changed my life and for yeah. the better. Good. And uh, yeah, but it was it was not an easy decision to leave the violets. It really wasn't because yeah. um, I love being in the band. I love singing. I love that whole vibe. But sometimes there's a fork in the road and yeah. life choices need to be made. So yeah. one of the things that's really wonderful was when we reformed in 2007. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I want to hear about, because you've had your own very unique and impressive career. I want to talk more about that when we get after this. So let's get to the some kind of wonderful part of this. So what I hadn't realized before is that John Hughes had heard Turn to the Sky, liked the song, and wanted you guys. Now, you're the only band, as you know, that's featured in the movie. You have that one scene in the club. Yeah, the scene in the club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was rewatching. <laughs> yeah, I was rewatching that scene last night again because I love that movie, and it's kind of an odd scene because it it sort of feels shoehorned in in a way. Like Keith is there, and he thinks mm. Amanda Jones is going to come, but he's not, we're not entirely sure if he's even invited her to come. He's just there, and Watts is there. And she's sad, mm. and they have this big thing. Anyway, it's kind of an odd little scene, but it's so fun watching you guys. Do you remember filming that scene? Tell me about it, Tom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember when we they flew us out. I think we had about a week and a half uh, at the Sunset Marquee with a limo on call. And um, just we, I think we worked for two days, and the rest of the time was just kind of you know hanging out, meeting people, and partying, uh -huh. frankly. And um, but this, it was I remember yeah I mean it was a very early start you know in the makeup trailers hanging out with um, you know got to know um, Eric Stoltz quite well we kept bumping into him as we, while we were over as well in different places it was kind of weird and fun you know all the and party Matthew spots I'm guessing, right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. New York, actually when we were there at the end of uh, end of another tour but um, it, yeah it was a lot of fun it was. Um, I mean, basically what happened was, you know, because they were, they were shooting dialogue, they, we had to wear little rubber pads on our feet so that we wouldn't make a noise when we were performing, you know. So, every so if you're tapping your feet, all we tried to do, you basically had to make no noise while you were miming to, the, to a track that you couldn't hear. <laughs> I wondered <laughs> about that. And recording, you know, of course, the guy with the boom. Yeah, well, the guy with the you know, the big boom mic would be like, "Oh no, I heard I heard a somebody you know my, my finger would hit a string or something like that because it was too close to the guitar," and he's like, "No, cut." <laughs> and, yeah, um, I wondered during those close-ups yeah, during yeah, my, the talking my, my scenes, if you guys are still there. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. Do you? Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, we were. I think we were. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, they had full coverage. I guess there was at least four or five cameras. On okay. There. Okay, so it looks like a full club. Do you remember how many people are actually in the room? Like I've heard stories of Top of the Pops being on a really small stage. It's not as big. As I think there was big. about. I think there was at least fifty or sixty people. Oh in there wow! Were okay. Just, yeah. Oh yeah. Was, it, I mean, they, they, yeah, that was quite a, quite a big. Okay. Crowd of people. How many times did you have to, to go? Like through, right. How many times did you have to I go through Turn to the Sky? Uh, I think we, I mean, we were doing it all day. So and yeah. we started, at, you know, started shooting about not eight in the morning and didn't finish till five or six. So oh, yeah, man. it was a lot of time. <laughs> I bet everyone is so tired of that song by is. the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you couldn't really hear it most of the time because, you know, they were shooting dialogue. Good point. So okay. we just had to imagine what the song sounded like. Luckily, we knew the song well, so we could imagine it in our heads. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you go to any kind of, um, premiere parties or was it just that week and a half that you were there 
Well, when we, we went back and toured the US in 1987 with Flesh for Lulu, we were all, mm. you know, friends of ours, and they're also they've on, been on here on too. Soundtrack. Good one. Yep. Yeah, 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 old, yeah. Very old friends of mine. Rocco's and, been um, on here. Rock, yeah, I know Rocco, mm -hmm. <laughs> and poor old Nick as well, of course. Yeah, yeah that was but, um, very tragic. Awful. Yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, we we were touring and and when we played LA it was the same night that the premiere for the movie was. Okay. So we played the after show, both bands played the after show party for the That's great. premiere that was at the Chan, you know, Man's Chinese Theatre. Yeah. And I okay. remember it being quite a party night. <laughs> of course, of course. Did you uh, ever go on a date with Mary Stuart Masterson or anything like that? Uh, <laughs> she was very cute. And um, I mean, was I, was, yeah, I had a girlfriend at the time. Okay. I mean, she, yeah, she was definitely up for partying and, and all the rest of it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I wondered about that. Um, how did Amanda Jones come about? Because it's a Stones cover and it could have been anyone on the play on the soundtrack, but you guys get the call. You're the only band with two songs on there. Yeah, that's very true. We were in. I'm trying to remember who. Oh God, uh, Stephen Stephen Haig was was involved in. in kind He's been of on here too. The, I didn't know he yeah, did that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, he 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 recorded. Well, we kind of re-recorded "Turn the Sky." We redid the drums. We kind of made it more programmy, uh -huh. and re-recorded bits and pieces here and there. And at the same time, we recorded the, that version of Amanda Jones with him. So. Uh -huh. That's how that kind of came apart. I think because we were we were already, I think it was AdVision Studios in West London where we did it, and um, yeah, I mean, we I mean we were in doing that. Had to kind of they wanted to check, you know, put give the give the turn the sky a slightly different vibe okay. for the movie. Okay, and um, um, and that was yeah. I guess it made sense while we were doing that to do, you know. Amanda Jones. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Which I, really, I mean, yeah, you know, I really still really like that version that we did of that. I think of course, I love it too. Job on that one. <laughs> um, did you ever? Did you have much conversation with John Hughes? Uh, we met him. We met him at the um, the after show party for the premiere. He introduced us to his wife and his daughters. Came okay. backstage in the dressing room, and, and yeah, we had a really nice chat and got to thank him and. And shake his hand and you know and hang out and chat yeah we hung out with him for about 10 15 20 minutes something like okay. that okay because you know pop his head in <laughs> howard deutsch produced uh directed that some kind of waterfall mm -hmm. and my understanding yeah. is that he and leah thompson were kind of having that's where they're still married to this day bless their hearts but right. did they you see any they, of that yeah. um we i've heard stories like of them being off in the corner like making out stuff like that I, I don't remember because she wasn't on the set that oh, day. Because she wasn't we, in that scene. Did, yeah, she wasn't in that scene, so I, we didn't meet her. Yeah. So okay. I can't give you any stories about that one. <laughs> okay. Just curious. Just curious. What was the after effect? Did it uh, – I mean, there. I, I don't know of a proper March Violets album that's come out uh, either around that time or even before that time. We, I mean, back in the day, we were like we we're getting back to that conversation we we're having about the band being a bit anarchic, uh -huh. which is very true. Like we just kind of kept banging through stuff, wasn't that right, Rosie? We were kind of yeah. like just, uh, yeah. you know, we, lots we of like, singles, like, lots of singles, and yeah. you know, we didn't, mm. we did not have a five-year plan. Okay. You know, it's like we weren't sitting around a table with um, Excel spreadsheets or even bits <laughs> of paper. So it was it. 
it was when the anarchy got a little bit haphazard, let's put it that way. Although, Tom, you did like record a full <laughs> album of material, you know, with um, in the later iteration of the band, didn't you? Because that's did what's you? come out on the we five. Did, we talk, yeah, oh, I mean, okay, we did. I mean, yes. it never got released. I mean, when we were signed to London, we, we demoed like, I think it was about eight or nine tracks, so different yeah. versions of, of old Violet songs, you know, with a new... We had a bass player who played in um, Simple Minds and Pretenders, actually, to a guy called Malcolm Foster. Really? And we kind of reimagined... Yeah, yeah. We reimagined um, some of the old songs and kind of wrote and wrote about two or three new ones, and they're on the, the, the CD box set. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, for anyone who doesn't plug, know, the a- box set... Yes. Yeah, that was a plug, plug, by the way, John, in case Good. you missed it. That was us no. plugging it. <laughs> That's what I wanted to get to that part, because yeah. what I find really interesting is how active the March Violets have been over the last 10 years or so. There is yeah. much demand for reunion shows, tours, box sets, all of that stuff. For a band yeah. that you were saying, you know, only put out singles and we're doing things kind of haphazardly, to have this <laughs> happening now is crazy. Well, yeah, it's like it's like it, there's even the slight possibility that we were doing something that was good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, think that was, I think it was really good. It I think, was I, really I think good. Our haphazardness didn't didn't do us any favors. I think you know yeah. at the time. You know, yeah. So, but you know, in the had that situation as well. Yeah, it, and it's like you know we're still standing, <laughs> and that yeah, yeah we're still standing, and that's why we're doing this reunion tour. And um, in the words of my spirit animal, Iggy Pop, if you wait around for long enough, you will get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. So what is the reunion tour? Are you going to do anything in the States? Are you able to come out here? Is there enough of a draw? Well, I really hope so. Yeah, I think we'll be doing some shows. We haven't actually got anything um, confirmed yet. Um, okay. but you know, we're working on that. Um, you know, we should know awesome. more about that within the next, you know, hopefully by the end of January, we should know what was that. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. That we, now, we will be. Yeah. Whatever, it also makes a lot oh, of sense, John. It kind of makes sense to do US dates because it's like Tom lives in Georgia and William lives in Good Chicago. Point. So it, it's oh, okay. kind of more, lo- it's the only logical way, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I hope you do. I've never been able to see you guys live. Where is Cleo? Oh, what welcome. happened to her? Yeah. Where's what? Well, she's now. Um, I mean, I saw her. I actually saw her back in 2015. With me and my family were in in the UK, and it was around the time that um, Nick from Flesh for Lulu was very very ill um, mm. with throat cancer. And he died while I was actually over in Europe, and we oh, were wow. just just before his funeral. I was staying with Cleo. We were staying with her in Colchester, which is where she's now. And um, we had a, you know, a really nice time, sort of, you know, hooking up again. But she's not, she's not at all, you know, into the idea of rock and roll, anything <laughs> or anything like not that. Not music anymore. She's, she's got a really successful clothing business, and yeah, oh, not good really, for you know, her. Still like music. Oh yeah, yeah, she's doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, that was the last time. You know, we stayed in touch. You know, obviously, because sure. we, 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 you know, we, had, we were having discussions about all this reissue of old material and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll chat to her about all that. And but, you um, and yeah, Rose- I guess I'll see you next week. Rosie, <laughs> you and Cleo are fine, right? Oh god, yeah. Well, I never really knew her terribly well yeah. um, because it was like 
um, I was out and then she came in. So I never really knew her. But no, God, no, it was all, it's like when I left, there was no bad feeling. And when Cleo joined, there was equally no bad feeling. No, it's like, I mean, she didn't, she had a completely different style to me. And um, different is good. Different mm -hmm. is refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it worked for that time. Tom, have you stayed Absolutely. in music? What have you done since? Um, well, I've been in a few other bands. I was in a just soon after the Violets finally split in 87, I was in another band that was signed to London called Hard Rain, which is a great band. And then we, I kind of went out and did Clan of Zymox, which is how oh, I, I love them. The That's right. States. You're on the Phoenix yeah. album. I love that album. Yeah. Well, not actually on it, not, not playing on it, but I went out and oh, toured. Oh, you toured on it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did do some recording with Ronnie, you know, after we got back from the tour and stuff, but yeah. that was when he was back to being Indian and the rest of it. But yeah, so that, you know, still very much in touch with those guys, really good friends. Um, and I think I've kind of, you know, then went, moved to the US. My wife is from Athens and I'd met her on that tour. And kind of settled down to have you know children and uh -huh. um, I think we we kind of the violets kind of got back together two thousand seven initially yeah. so yeah yeah that was when you know we sort of picked that up again and I was kind of doing uh, film scores for a while sort of two thousand twelve okay. two thousand sixteen I did about ten or eleven movies which is a lot of fun yeah fun to do really enjoyed it but um, anything we would know which is right oh really. Street. Um, okay. but probably the most well-known one would be called Accidental Exorcist, which is, um, okay. oh, I'm trying to remember who distributed that. I mean, it was, yeah, it was a low budget film, you know, sure. but it's pretty, a really cool movie. You know, That's it's definitely great. One, one of the better ones, you know. Good so, for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, later on I'll maybe go back into it, but it was very hard to make any money doing that. I mean, it was, you'd spend, you know, eight or nine weeks working your ass off yeah. and get yeah. paid peanut, you know, or yeah. it just got, yeah, not cool. Okay. Um, what Now, Rosie, you have done a lot of things since you I left have. in your life, <laughs> uh, even aside from moving to Sudan. So tell us about yourself. Um, well, uh, uh, where do I begin? Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, I come back from Sudan in 86. And um, I think Tom made a really important point there um, in passing about the fact that I think one of the reasons why the 2007 reunion works so well is that tom and i hadn't just been i don't know digging potatoes for 15 20 years we'd both been really active in performance and gigging and and what i was doing when i got back in 86 was i started doing a lot of like performance art on the um lgbt scene mm -hmm. and um i was doing a lot of singing a lot of performance and particularly i started really concentrating on writing lyrics for sure um but i guess one of the, you know and poetry doing a lot of mm -hmm. performance poetry and slam poetry but i guess one of the things that's i'm, I'm really proud of is that i started writing novels mm -hmm. sort of historical novels a bit um out there a bit sort of magic realist um his, yeah, and um they've done really well and Thank you. And the thing that I'm one of the things I'm very excited about is that um, I'm currently working with a new publisher on a new novel that finally is going to get full distribution in the USA. Nice. And that's going to be coming out in 2024, another historical novel set in ancient Excellent. Greece. 
And so, yeah, I, oh, I think wow. most of my time I'm working on writing these days. So I'd call myself a novelist, but also, yeah, performer. Love it. That's great. Um, I Okay, last couple of questions. Number one, I am curious who you guys might have played with back in the early days. The Who did you share a bill with? And Rosie, I guess because... Uh, knowing that you are out now, did you interact with Leslie Woods from the Au Pairs very much? I imagine you two being good friends or so, or maybe I'm just conflating because I know you two are both gay. Well, do you know, I wish I'd known her. Because you know who I she think is, it, right? Yeah, sure. I wish yeah, I'd, I'd, she's I wish been I'd on known here her. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wish that our paths had crossed <laughs> because I genuinely felt that I was the only lesbian goth in the entire world I bet. and um you know i and it's like you know there was that thing of not really seeing myself reflected very many places so um uh, oh yeah well i could tell you my um famous story of getting yes, told please. to fuck off well yeah i i was told to fuck off by nico which is one of the uh, proudest <laughs> moments of my life <laughs> it's like she wasn't very well at the time so you've got to uh -huh. give you know like she was not a well woman, but um, I went up to her backstage at a gig. We were, you know, because we were sharing, you know, was that, we were, Armor? that was we were on the bill with Nico at Future Armor and the Damned, that and uh, myself and Rat Scabies went bill. backstage That's to tell her how fabulous we thought she was, and I was <sighs> telling her what an influence she'd been, and blah blah blah, and she just turned around to me and went. Fuck off! <laughs> it's one for the grand. It's one for the grandchildren. Isn't exactly. It? That's a much better story than if she had said "thank you" and then you know that was the end of it. Good. Well, yeah, you know, if you ever play that game, who's the most famous person to tell you to fuck off? You know, it's like I win. Thank you. Haven't we all played that game? Yeah. Rosie's got the best answer to that one. That's great. What about you, Tom? Do you have any? Fun stories or memories from back in the day? Did you get to uh, open for a great one about Mick Jagger? Ooh. <laughs> we, um, yeah, when we when the violets were recording in um, New York, we actually when we got to the mixing stage, this this album never got released. Um, we were at Right Track Studios, um, and we were recording. You know, we were working in the studio. I came out, went into the rec room. There was like a you know pool table little kitchen area in a bar and some uh -huh. video machines the arcade machines so i was playing outrun and totally really into it i was really tired I remember i was kind of semi-catatonic at that point and just staring uh -huh. and driving down the road trying not to crash off it and and i kind of after about i don't know a minute or so i kind of you know i felt that someone watching me uh -huh. and Oh, you know, the hair start to go up a little bit because there's no, you know, I didn't hear anyone coming in, you know, so whoever it was had come in real quiet. Uh huh. And I turned around, looked over my shoulder, it was Mick Jagger. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, he was, and he was sort of looming over me and he goes, You're going to be putting a lot of money in that to get anything out of it, mate. And he laughed. <laughs> wow. I was like, Oh, damn, what do I say? You know, I, I, I was speechless. I was like, Damn it, you know, what do I say? <laughs> But wow. I went back into our, you know, he left and I went back into our room and told everyone and Cleo instantly was like, shit, you know, runs, <laughs> runs down to the other room where they were working on his first solo record, I think it was, and, you know, got his autograph and stuff like that. And he was That's like, oh, great. That's great. <laughs> How come you guys broke up? I mean, I, you would think that being in this major movie would be a reason to keep going, but you guys broke up shortly after that. It was, I mean, to be honest, I mean, it was a bit of uh, too much record company pressure, not really having any management. So we were kind of having to do a lot of stuff ourselves and really just kind of, you know, 
sometimes things just run their course, you know, yeah. and have to kind of take a break. And I think we we were pretty, you know, we did a like eight week tour of the US and then we went straight into the studio in New York. So by the time that was done, um, we, you know, I, I mean, I remember just feeling physically, mentally done, you know, at the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think Mick Jagger could sense that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And, uh, Probably. And um, yeah, I think that's just the way it was. And it, it yeah, it, it, we, you know, it's actually Cleo who just said, you know what, well, I think we should just you know, call it quits, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Let's wow, just, um, interesting. You know, be, um, yeah, we, and the band had been, yeah, the name had been around for seven years at that point. Okay, so, yeah. good point. Now, Rosie, when you guys play the reunion yeah, shows, do you sing Turn to the Sky and in concert? Uh, well, I sing sort of like Walk Into the Sun and uh, the other tracks, but one track we haven't yet tackled is Turn to the Sky. But you yeah, know what, know. Tom? Yeah. Who knows what might happen yeah. in the future? It's like as Tom was talking about, like reimagining and revisiting songs. Yeah. There's, I see no reason why we can't revisit Turn to the Sky and give it it the give it the new Violet's treatment. Yeah, that'd be yeah. interesting. Huh. Well. I mean, it's if you surprised me there, Rosie. That's yeah. kind of cool. I mean, yeah, what an interesting idea. It's <laughs> so I have to get my, get my head thinking. Got my brain. Yeah, I can see nice, tons of nice. tons the juices of are flowing. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting to me that for some of us, uh, those songs on that soundtrack is the main point of interest, or the it's our it's our ground zero. It's our starting point with March oh, Violence. Yeah. But for you guys, that's kind of more like an afterthought. There were years before, and there's been years since, and all that stuff. This, those two songs are just a little blip on a radar of a long career. Well, it's so interesting how we view this. You could see them as a blip, but because, as you say, there was stuff that came before and stuff that came after, you can see it as the eye in the storm. Mm, good one. Yes. That's why you're a good writer, Rosie, because you say these things. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't even got it written down in front of me. <laughs> it just comes naturally. Well, good. Well, guys, uh, thank you very much for talking with me. I love everything you've done. The old it's stuff, pleasure, the movie things, everything since. I find it so fascinating that the March Violets are probably bigger now than they ever were and that there's such a still growing concern. There's the box set, there's new songs, there's new stuff. I love that about you. And I've, I've always paid attention to what Bi March Violets are doing. And so I'm Thank so you. grateful Thank that you're you. still doing it. Thank you. Thank you, yeah, John. That means great. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Thank you and so much. Hopefully we'll see you, in, uh, see you over in the U.S. Okay, there you have it. Those are three of the great bands featured on the Some Kind of Wonderful soundtrack. This is the Amanda Jones, as I mentioned before, from the March Violets. Um, I just thought I love this album and I wanted to dig in as deep as I could with some of the artists that we don't know as much about that are featured on it. I learned a few things. I learned that for a lot of them, this was just a blip. I mean, the fact that the March Violets don't even play these songs when they play live is, a, is really eye-opening to me. That's just not part of their history like it is for me. And for the others, I don't know if they even really saw the movie or saw it as a big deal in their careers. They just, it was one more thing kind of happening in the 80s while they were trying to make it, you know? And so what's a huge deal to me in my life is just kind of one more line item on a resume for them. I wasn't expecting that, you know? But that's the way it goes. Anyway. 
Thanks to everyone who contributed, and thank you to Tarquin Gotch for hooking me up with everybody. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. If you don't know the soundtrack, it's not streaming on Spotify. You probably have to find it on YouTube. I still have the CD. It's a it's a piece of work. I love this album. I love every song on it. So anyway, hope you do too. Thanks, folks, for listening. We love you. <laughs>